live from wherever you happen to be, it's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast. And now, here's your host, curator of the hall, Jamie Dew. don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about those goddamn bells. But part of me thinks that it makes me feel like I'm transporting uh, in a Star Trek episode. It's like that's the sound I would hear as I was being, you know, put back together uh, in whatever place I had transported to. Does that make sense? I don't know. Maybe I'm a little high right now. Okay, so we have got a tremendous, tremendous episode for you today. We have three more pundits that we are going to hear for in this, the third of uh, three pundit roundtables. So there's that. I am joined by uh, Kirsten Turnbull, Dave Buckman, and Thomas Senna. And we get into some really great discussion. There are some hard parameters laid out. There is some voting strategy that is uh, in display, on full display in this episode. It's uh, a little different than we got last week or the week before. Dare say I've enjoyed all three. Uh, this has been really good, but we need to understand that there is method to the madness. We are doing these roundtables so that you have more time to consider your vote. You have up until, well, okay, I'm just going to say it. This is the big announcement. Voting has been extended. Voting will now not end on May the 20th, Friday, May the 20th, but instead it will end on Monday, May 23rd. So we get that last weekend of SNL and, you know, the, um, we can, we can, well, I'll be honest with you, the, the news cycle, <laughs> SNL is going to take a lot of air and we want to extend our, uh, our voting bank so that you have more time. And so that when we announce the episode, uh, when we announce the nominees, we can announce them in, uh, in a little bit more of a vacuum. Now that's the second part of the big announcement. The finale will not be held on Sunday, the 29th, but rather it will be held live, 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 live. We're going to live stream it. On Thursday the 26th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thursday, May 26th, I will be live in Los Angeles, California. And we will be linked up with John Schneider and hopefully a guest or two. And uh, we're going to just do it that way. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'll still release it as a, an audio podcast on Sunday the 29th. But if you want to take part in a live discussion as the as the uh, candidates are revealed, that's the place to do it. Thursday, May 28th. No, Thursday, May 26th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Man, I need to do this with the calendar in front of me. So those are the big two announcements. I can't wait. 
Anyway, let's get right to this pundit roundtable with Dave Buckman, Thomas Senna, and Kirsten Turnbull. Let's go. Cherry cola? It's cherry vanilla. How is it? It's really good. It's Product the, placement. Is that the gas? <laughs> yeah, I wish. I wish I was getting that scratch. <laughs> um, we'll do it eventually. We'll do it. You guys will all be drinking like American Idol, you know, out of your Coke cups. And yeah. why don't we do this live next year? Okay. All right. So um, we are here in the thick of things with our third pundit roundtable and i'm really excited because uh the other two roundtables have been really interesting and it's a really shining example of how challenging this task is by how varied the results have been so far on about 50 percent of the ballots usually about 50 percent are the same and then and then the remaining 50% are all over the place. Um, so, you know, that's where we're at. I am joined by three terrific pundits today. The first one will go in clockwise order from my view. So it'll be Thomas first that we talk to. And uh, Thomas, how are you doing today? Thomas Senna, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Beautiful Sunday here in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, so things are good. I'm drinking out of my, uh, drinking water out of my Saturday night live canister that I got, uh, going to dress rehearsal. You recently, recently went. For, yeah. For, I remember that. For the Lizzo episode, my wife and I went to dress rehearsal. So we had to bring back a souvenir aside from the memories. It was a bucket list sort of thing. Absolutely. So I'm still on the high from, from seeing the Lizzo episode, uh, in person. Oh, that's so spectacular. Congratulations. Yes. Okay, and um, to your right, or to to your yeah, to your right is uh, you're we're joined by our friend Dave Buckman. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing great. From uh, calling in from rainy uh, Austin, <laughs> Texas. Oh, no, it's okay. We need it. We need the rain. And uh, you know, I, I just wonder if you wanted to share that anecdote that you were uh, telling us off the air about the repeat episode you saw last night, and what oh you sort of just what you sort night. of noticed because I think it's really fascinating. Well, oh boy. Uh, well, okay. Um, last night they played the Sofia Vergara One Direction uh, episode of Saturday Night Live, and of course, my good friend Jason Sudeikis was all over that episode, and. I'm also noticing that an 18-year-old Harry Styles is also all over that episode. <laughs> and I just went down a rabbit hole trying to figure out timelines of did had Jason met Olivia yet? Had, had how old was Harry at that time? What what's going on in that moment? Take us back 10 years. 10 years ago, only 10 years ago. Wow. Uh, this all sprang forth. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so that's that's what I did last night. Just one of those little things that you can do when you watch, you know, even in an off week, you can watch an episode and get something out of it. That's a lot of fun. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. And to your right is our friend Kirsten Turn Turnbull. Um how are you doing since uh since we last spoke? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm also calling in from a rainy place. It's raining in Toronto, Ontario, Canada right now. Uh, I'm doing very well. 
and I've listened to one of the previous pundit episodes, and I didn't hear my nominee mentioned a single time. Oh, my goodness. So I'm excited to talk about that. <laughs> but otherwise, I'm coming in pretty open-minded. Uh, I do like hearing the cases made for the nominees, and I'm willing to be swayed in, uh, for certain <laughs> nominees. So open-minded over here. We actually had in, in one of the roundtables, I forget whether it was the first or the second one, people traded votes. I heard. there was Oh, so it wasn't the first one then. Right. Yeah. It was a, a vote for a vote swap. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I won't reveal who it was, but it's pretty interesting. Okay. So speaking of voting, you, got, you guys were all allotted up to 15 votes. I'm curious as to whether or not you chose to use all 15 or what was your strategy going in? Thomas, if you want to kick this off and then we'll, we'll work back in that same order, we'll go to Dave and Kirsten again. Uh, did you employ any sort of strategy at all? Or was this, um, I got 15 votes, I'm using 15 votes? Uh, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> I think that was basically my strategy. Honestly, I wanted, since this is the first, or technically the second, since we already have Lorne Michaels uh, enshrined uh, in a class unto himself. Um, but since we just started this up, uh, I wanted to be as inclusive as possible, honestly. Um, so that's what I was going for. Um, so I actually did use all 15 um, of my votes. And uh, I started off with going into it, I think there were just probably eight or nine just slam dunk. I didn't even have to think about it. Um, probably going to be, I have a feeling those names are going to be similar amongst all the panels here when we discuss this. Uh, but then, you know, I, t I actually did remember um, some of the previous episodes, people advocating for certain folks. Um, a lot of that really made me think about what I wanted to do with the rest of my votes. So I feel really comfortable uh, with, with the 15 that I have. And I know we're all like, um, like baseball fans. Um, I think we're all baseball fans in here. And so I thought there's a lot in terms of baseball hall of fame voting. People talk about first ballot hall of famers. And I really didn't, uh, I don't believe in that in sports. If you're a hall of famer, you're a hall of famer. I'm not going to wait till the second ballot, uh, to vote somebody into the hall of fame. So, so, I didn't separate anything into first ballot or second ballot. I just, if you're a Hall of Famer in my book, then you're just going in uh, on your first ballot. So, but I did use uh, all 15. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've heard people make that uh, argument in sports. Like what, you know, if the person's retired or they're not on the show anymore, what else can they do? to improve their case, exactly. right? <laughs> exactly. I guess, yeah. I guess it's a little different for the hosting and the musical guest category, uh, as evidenced by the Kirsten episode where we, we talked about John Mulaney and then like, and then like, uh, three weeks later he was announced to do his five timer. So we, we did an addendum to that episode, um, where we played it off the beginning. So yeah. Uh, interesting. Okay. All 15. How about you, Dave? Uh, yeah, I think I also used all 15 as well. I don't know how you could love this show and not. I mean, there's very few cast members, writers, hosts, and musical guests that I actively don't like that I wouldn't consider. Like if you're in the cast of Saturday Night Live, if you're in the writer's room, if you're hosting, and if you're the musical guest, you are at the top tier of talent. And especially everybody on this list, I can't imagine. Maybe, maybe there's one or two people I don't enjoy, but I certainly wouldn't keep recognizing would not recognize their talents and their contributions to the show. 
Um, so I just, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure most of us, I know I am, are heavily slanted toward cast members and writers, um, on our ballots. Uh, but I don't, you know, that's just a matter of the amount of people, um, and, uh, that have gone through the turnstiles at SNL and the amount of people that we're all as, um, active fans drawn to, we're drawn to the show because of the comedy, I think, uh, and not so much the revolving guest stars and, uh, musical acts. Fair enough. Yeah. So all 15 again. So did you deviate from this strategy at all, Kirsten, or did you stay in the same place? I did deviate. Uh, I have 11. Okay. And then I got stuck. Uh, my criteria was around recognition and that gets tough because it depends on age when, what era you were exposed to. Some folks would remember Dan Aykroyd and the fish in the blender and some wouldn't at all. That's, that's, there's no reference. They know him from maybe the original Ghostbusters and stuff. So it's a tough one because it becomes very subjective then and, and, and what you recall and what you remember if your parents exposed you to the show or how young you were watching the show. Um, best of and reference clips. So some of those that on any kind of compilation of SNL tops, you get a lot of the clips that are repeated and that we recognize, uh, you know, Gilda Radner and uh, Bill Murray as that loving couple. Like there's some that just keep coming up. So what types of clips and moments really remain in those kind of reels? Uh, controversially, I didn't include a musical guest. Oh, wow. And not sure why. They don't make as much of an impact on me. I love music, but they don't make as much of an impact on me when I think about this show. My love goes towards the cast and the host and the writers. And on that note, I, I found in doing some of my research that it's actually not that easy to find information about who's written what sketches. Yes, it's very difficult. And for I think that's stuff. a real shame. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real shame. I'd love, and even in the fandom sites, like I'd love a list. I wanted to be able to do more research on the writers because I admit that's a little bit of a blind spot for me beyond the obvious ones. And that that's a shame. I Somehow that needs to be fixed. You know, it's been rectified now um like you can you can track down pretty much everything now thanks to uh the snl network and things like that like current for current stuff i mean but vintage stuff, but for okay. vintage stuff it's real tough to sort of trace it back you get anecdotes in some of the in some of the snl books and things like that um like when they're when they're talking about uh uh tom davis um there's a chapter in his book about one single episode, you know, of SNL. And it's an episode where he was so highly represented. It's the King Tut episode with Steve Martin, which is topical right now for reasons that I don't even want to get into. Like, if you don't think that's funny, you're, you know, like, whatever. But it's... It was it's, very bizarre that it was trending yes. on a random week weekend. Yes. And yeah. to hear all these Jen's dads saying it's, you know, it's not funny is is so... So strange, but hey, that's the subjectivity that Kirsten was talking about. So I've got so much to say. <laughs> Anna, Anna Gastar wrote "Sweaty Balls." Oh, I didn't know, and that. I only found that out because she mentioned it on a podcast. Oh wow! So you're right. There, so a lot of that is lost to history, which is a real shame. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree, especially for the writers. So before we get into your actual picks, I'm going to give the complete list of uh, candidates. Um, and they are as follows. Uh, they're, I'm going to read them in categories, but you guys will not, you know, you don't have to follow the categories at all. But we've got Gilda Radner, Chris Farley, Norm MacDonald, Molly Shannon, Maya Rudolph, Phil Hartman, Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd. In the host category, we've got Steve Martin, Melissa McCarthy, Lily Tomlin, John Mulaney, Justin Timberlake, John Goodman, and Emma Stone. And in the musical guest category, we have Neil Young, Prince, Paul McCartney, Nirvana, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Miley Cyrus, and Taylor Swift. And in the writer category, we have Michael O'Donohue, Tina Fey, Conan O'Brien, The Lonely Island, Jim Downey, and Franken and Davis. Now, there's been a lot of people who have uh, questioned, you know, um, how this can be a Hall of Fame if you don't have the the original cast, you know, up for grabs initially. And and I could tell you that that's just sort of um, sort of baggage of this podcast. Uh, what I tried to do as the host is I tried to curate a list of of people so that we could have a breadth of 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 eras and time and um you know generations uh you know interposed or inner inner interconnected i suppose um and next year there'll be a whole different list of these four categories that will be nominated it's it's you know it's in no way indicative of the importance of the people uh you know the fact that Dan Aykroyd and Gilda Radner are the only two from the first cast that are you know, on there, it's not indicative of their importance by any stretch. It's just by dint of the fact that, uh, um, that I curated the list. So that's, that's that, uh, that's that put to bed. So let's get rolling here. Thomas, do you want to kick things off? What was, uh, who are you going to bring to the table first? Who are you voting for first? All right. So we'll start at the bottom of our list and then work our way. Sure. Um, to the top. So number 15 uh, on my list, um, I voted in uh, Melissa McCarthy. Oh, excellent. As host. Um, and I did, I actually did the Emma Stone episode uh, for, with you, Jamie, yeah. and I actually didn't vote for Emma Stone. Oh my gosh. It was kind of between, it was kind of between Emma Stone and Melissa McCarthy. And I actually chose Melissa McCarthy um, because she just, um, in terms of host, she just popped off the screen uh, more than someone like Emma Stone, who obviously I think is a wonderful host. Uh, but when I think of hosts um, throughout SNL history, there's certain hosts that just pop off the screen with their performance. And Melissa McCarthy um, was one of them. So, and she's a, um, I believe she's a five timer. Yeah. Right, Melissa? So. so she's a five timer. Um, so she has the credentials as far as the amount of times hosting and she when she's on the screen she just demands your attention and she's such an incredible like just bull in a china shop kind of performer um she's good at her understated things too um but she's just such a powerhouse and of a performer um she ended up squeezing into my top 15 um so i have melissa mccarthy as as number 15 excellent Dave or Kirsten, did you have Melissa McCarthy on your list at all? No. Okay, that's I did. All right. So let's hear why and why not. <laughs> Much like another female who 
I'll wait till it, see if she comes up. I think she's a sketch saver. So no matter how much a sketch may be, you know, struggling, she's one of those people that will save it and make it entertaining and watchable because of who she is and the, what she brings to that performance. And that's, that's a formidable act on live television uh, to, to be that quick and that captivating. So I support that nomination 100%. I mean, Hidden Valley Ranch in my mouth <laughs> is mm-hmm. often repeated among my friends because it's just one of the silliest things. I'm um, bubblegum guy with the podium. Look, I've already forgotten Sean his name. Spicer. It's Sean Spicer. Yeah. Thank yes. you. I did give her points for coming back um, as Sean Spicer, even though that technically wasn't in a host role. Um, yeah. I did in my mind give her points for coming back as Spicer and as well as the uh, women's group with the vision board. Oh, right. Um, yes. I, f- I forgot her name, but that w- that's actually one of my favorite sketches from like the last few years. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. Or basketball coach. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are so, so many and it's very much about her performance and not many people can captivate with that much energy and with that much confidence. So I support that vote 100%. She's on my list. And Dave, uh, just not room enough on your ballot or... Personal vendetta against McCarthy. Oh, <laughs> not a personal vendetta. I think she's a good host, uh, a great host, but not Hall of Fame host. I think I would put um, um, four above her on this list uh, for sure. <clears throat> I think um, I think I might give her less credit because she came up through the groundlings and of all these hosts. On this ballot, she's the only one with sketch comedy background. Yeah. Um, I guess Lily Tomlin, to some extent, has sketch comedy background as well. She had her own sketch show, and she's on Laughing for sure. But um, Melissa McCarthy, but she came up through the stand-up ranks, whereas Melissa McCarthy came up through improv and sketch. So for her, this is definitely in her wheelhouse. So I feel like she could have easily been yeah. a cast member. So I don't give her much more credit for she should kill at hosting she should kill at sketch um what what she does isn't above and beyond i think what the people who i have uh on the hosts from this list even the even the two people that i didn't select that are still for me ahead of most mccarthy on this list um all go above and beyond um uh a recurring uh news cameo okay fair enough i think you gotta have some i think you gotta have some recurring characters beyond the news uh in order to be a host in the hall of fame i think that vision board i think that that one character did come back i'm pretty sure there's the one character that Mm -hmm. did come back but but i hear but I'm I'm talking about a character that everybody knows and loves. Yeah. And you say it on the street, and that's like, oh yeah, I know that character. Like <clears throat> two wild right. and crazy yeah. guys. Yeah, which is pretty rare for a host, uh, honestly. But I guess that's why we're talking Hall exactly. of Fame. Yeah, <laughs> exactly Hall of Fame. So yeah, I think there's a couple people. All right. Well, let's hear list. who your first pick is, then, Dave. My very first pick. I'll go to the top of my list. <laughs> Unless we're, are we are we going bottom to first? Is that a thing? Or just yeah, um, you can do bottom to first, or you can do like you can do it whichever way you you wish. But uh, yeah, I think they're mine aren't in order, so I'd oh, love okay. to just go so wild. Just go here. Right, yeah, yeah, I go don't. Wild then. I didn't make mine. So I'm going hard in on Dan Aykroyd. 
Dan Aykroyd's my number one seed. He's the only person, I think besides Michael McKeon, who has been a cast member, a writer, a host, and a musical guest. Oh my gosh. Um, so I hadn't even considered that. Dan Aykroyd. What's the EGOT equivalent for all SNL? Four. That's Dan Aykroyd on Michael McKeon. <laughs> um, uh, so I don't, I Dan Aykroyd invented a lane of cast members. He was 22 yeah. at the time. He comes back and supports excellent writer, excellent cast member, excellent musical guest, pretty good host, great cameos. I think Dan Aykroyd is a no brainer for uh, making this ballot um, because of the contribution that he put into the show and his legacy and uh, his just tons of recurring characters and classic sketches. Yeah. I don't think you're going to, I mean, you're not going to hear an argument from me for sure. <laughs> uh, Thomas and Kirsten did Dan Aykroyd appear on your list. Kirsten, you had mentioned earlier, you know, you'd use Dan Aykroyd as an example. Is that uh, where you landed ultimately, or did you leave him off? So I initially had left him off only because I couldn't recall some of what you've just reminded me of. I think of the blender sketch and I think of, you know, a few others, but He's an EGOT. We need a better term for that. Clearly, that's not the same thing. Yeah. But so with my four votes that I have left over, I will give one to Dan Aykroyd because you're right. He does deserve that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well Excellent. done, Dave. <laughs> and um, Dan Aykroyd was number three on my list. So he was one of those where it was just a no-brainer lock. I don't know that I, I listened to the episode, but I really didn't even have to be swayed <laughs> right. um, by, by Dave on this one. So Aykroyd was top three for me. Uh, he invented a genre of, I think, he invented a genre of cast member. He, he's the first glue guy in SNL history. Um, we talk about glue guys. I have one on my list. Um, um, there's glue guys throughout um, and women throughout SNL history. And I think Dan Aykroyd invented that. Um, just somebody who could blend in with anything. He could be the zany, wacky person in the sketch. He could be the straight guy that holds things, that grounds everything. Um, he, uh, he's also probably the best pitch man <laughs> in SNL history when you need a sketch with just a fast talker. Uh, Dan Aykroyd was your person. So yeah, number three on my list, no brainer. Great. All right. So Kirsten, do you want to share your first pick? I, I mean, I mean, I know you've given us two, but uh, it's your mm, first. Technical. I'm going to go a bit random here. I'll continue the thread I was on when I talked about sketch savers and keep things spicy. I do have my Rudolph on my list. I noticed on the last um, podcast you did, she wasn't a favorite, but I will argue strongly for my Rudolph. I think. She has created many memorable characters and is multi-talented singing, the dancing, the kind of character work that she does. If you talk about, if you were to talk to someone who doesn't know SNL and isn't a regular viewer, they would, I think, know who she is by the characters that she does, disappears into them. Um, so my Rudolph is on my list. And, and her and Melissa I had in that same category as, as folks that are 
endlessly entertaining to watch and put 110% in all the time. So, you know, regardless of if that sketch overall is deemed, you know, funny or great or however well it went, they were always fantastic in it. Great. Yeah. I, I think, um, definitely friend of the show, right? Uh, she has elevated herself to a friend of the show status living in New York pops by and, uh, they find, you know, find some work for her to do, find some neat things for her to do. Uh, Kamala in the last couple of years, for example, although, you know, myself, I'm bored of the, the star turns, but, uh, she did great in, in you know, when, what, when, what was asked of her, she, she did. Thomas and Dave, did Maya appear on either of your ballots? Yes. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, I think <clears throat> Maya is maybe one of the best women to ever come through Saturday Night Live. I mean, just multi-talented. I, but not just multi-talented. Um, she, you know, representation is so important to people watching Saturday Night Live and to have um, a biracial comedian uh, that just yeah. kills it hard every single time. I was, I'm, I'm going to name drop real quick. I was sitting next to Jordan Peele. We were working at Boom Chicago. And this guy, Joe Kelly, who writes for Ted Lasso, he, his mom used to send us SNL tapes in Amsterdam so we could watch SNL like the week after they aired um, at the Boomcast. And I remember being next to Jordan when the first time Maya came on. Um, and he should sat straight up and could not believe what he was seeing because it was just somebody who looked like him killing on the Saturday Night Live. And it was just such an important lesson for me about that representation. I think Maya um, does that not only for women, for biracial people, for, but also singers, you know, she, she is such a superstar <laughs> Nova uh, when she's on screen that she, it's impossible to not watch any, everything she's doing. And she's so funny and dynamic and versatile. So, um, definitely a utility player that I would have in my all-star excellent uh, cast. Thomas. I'm going to be the outlier, I guess here. Uh, and uh, hopefully not a total wet blanket. No, um, no. I, I think my, my as a, was a dynamic, still is a dynamic performer. Um, I love seeing her pop up. I'm a big fan of the good place and she's, uh, plays the judge in the good place. She, whenever she pops up in a TV show and anywhere, uh, I enjoy what she does when she was on SNL. She, I never really connected with, with, with a lot of her work on the show. Um, uh, as far as her, uh, I guess her recurring characters didn't really resonate with me. Um, with, with that, in that era, I thought she was more, I felt she was more on mid tier. Um, uh, uh you know, in, in relative to the rest of her cast members. Um, there's just something about her, her, uh, performances on SNL that never really clicked with me. Um, I'm not saying that she's, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue if she made the hall of fame, I, I would think that, 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 that it would make sense and she would be worthy, but just, you know, just thinking, looking at our list and then thinking back to how I felt about Maya, you know, at the time when I was watching the show, um, she didn't resonate with me as much as she probably resonated with a lot of other people. So I, I did leave her off. Okay. Excellent. Well, uh, you know, I, I mean, everybody's got a different ballot and everybody's got a different rationale for it. So that's totally cool. Never apologize. <laughs> um, 
where are we at here? We are, we're back to you, Thomas. Yeah, so um, I'll, I started off at my number 15, which was Melissa McCarthy. Let's go number one. Uh, my number one mm-hmm. was Eddie Murphy. Uh, out of everybody on the list, Eddie Murphy was the slam dunk uh, for me. And if anybody, you know, over the years, we've seen headlines like Saturday Night Dead and they're going to cancel the show and this and that. And I think Eddie Murphy probably more than anybody may have legitimately saved SNL um, when he was on the show. Um, I believe he started in season six um, in 1980. He was 19 years old uh, when he started. Um, Not a lot of strong episodes or sketches during Eddie Murphy's run on SNL. Aside from Eddie Murphy, you think about when he was on the show and the sketches that really stood out and resonated with people. All of them were Eddie Murphy sketches. And I think, you know, after Lauren left, the show was definitely in flux. And I think Eddie Murphy became that star and that strong of a performer that may have genuinely saved Saturday Night Live. Um, I think he, I would put him, uh, I, I'm, I'm a geek, so I like kind of rank cast members and stuff. He's probably my, I think he's probably the second greatest cast member of all time. Um, my number one. Um, might be nominated next go around. Uh, but Eddie Murphy is just, I mean, what can you say? The James Brown hot tub, Velvet Jones, um, just so many memorable sketches by Eddie. I mean, that to me, that's a no brainer. Number one, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. I think, you know, I think I might, I might've pushed back a little bit prior to sort of the fences being mended. Um, like it seemed like Eddie was, you know, not around and uh, until the 40th, you know, then he popped up and then, yeah. and then obviously the big return to, to host the show, uh, his second time hosting or third time hosting um, one of them when he was a cast member. So, I mean, th- that stuff is just staggering. Uh, exactly. I think Nick Nolte dropped out at the yeah. last second um, and Eddie, Eddie just totally said okay well i got this i'll host and um i don't hold that against him as far as um fences that need to be mended maybe he was a little sensitive as far as david spade made a joke um on the show that that rubbed him the wrong way but i don't hold any of that against eddie i mean his work speaks for itself anybody else have eddie murphy on their ballot (laughs) yes Uh, i don't know how you can't <laughs> i think uh thomas is right uh you know there's three people i think there's three people that have saved Night live i think it's eddie murphy john lovitz and will ferrell have all yeah collectively saved uh Saint live from uh cancellation um so uh but eddie murphy is certainly the first person to do that and i think if you were gonna uh program a robot to be a saturday Night live cast member you'd want to be as close That's to eddie great. murphy as possible um just just because he's just oh my god so charismatic so funny so improvisational without breaking a sketch you know can uh, shares shares sketches with other people brilliantly um uh and uh is fun he's just fun he's exciting he's the kind of cast member like i can't wait to tune in this week to see what that guy's gonna do this week and I don't know that we've had that in a long time. Um, maybe Kristen Wiig 
is the last person to like make everybody go like, I can't wait to see what that person's going to do this coming week. Um, but Eddie Murphy certainly took what silent life was in the seventies and brought it into like almost like technicolor. Uh, even though <laughs> the show was in color in the seventies, he, he brought it into a new era, uh, and actually, let it be okay for people to actually leave and the show can get better, uh-huh. which I don't think had happened until yeah, Eddie Murphy. That's, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Because I mean, he left, he left midway through the all-star year, right? I th- yeah. I, well, I'm just thinking about like how Aquaman and Belushi left in season four, right. season five totally. is a little bit of a letdown from season four and then season six is a wash, but Eddie Murphy makes even uh, six and seven and eight yeah. like exciting. Uh, and I think the show got a little better. Uh, at least the Eddie Murphy segments were better than anything in the, in the, in the earlier run, just as good, if not better than anything in the earlier run, Eddie Murphy. Kirsten, where do you land on Eddie Murphy? So, Dave, you sold me again, but I need to say, <laughs> it's not that I wasn't including him because he was iffy. You're absolutely right, both of you, in that all of those characters of his, like Mr. Rogers and Gumby and Hot Tub and all those, I remember those and I quoted those and I have throughout my life. So, absolutely, he should be on. And what's interesting is when he hosted recently in my head, I have that he really kind of sucked the air out of the room. Like he, there was just so much focus on him. And I don't know if that was him doing that. It was just, everyone was so darn excited that he was there, that they all just like put the spotlight on him and the energy was just all about him. And I I think that maybe left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth, but I Mm. am now convinced that that is far outweighed by all of those memorable characters and the kind of spirit that he brings to the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's and Kirsten, I definitely, uh, I, I definitely see your point as far as his hosting gig goes because you're right; it was all about Eddie. But I, w- I think I would chalk that up to reverence from from the cast and the writers and everybody else. They were just so. I've heard a few cast members talk about it. Um, uh, in hindsight, I've heard Michael Che talk about it, maybe a couple others, and I think everybody was just so awestruck and and revered Eddie Murphy, and, and the show couldn't help but form itself around Eddie uh, when he hosted. But I definitely understand what you're saying as far as how how you perceived it, because it de- it definitely felt that way too. Yeah, but I I'm I'm I, I've added my vote there. I'm glad I had wow. your votes, by the way. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like that, I'm easily sold on that. He, sh- he should have been on there. Yeah, it's tough to... It's, oh, sorry, Dave. That go ahead. moment... Just that moment in when he hosted, when he calls Cecily Strong as the sexy-ass <laughs> elf, and the look, the look on um, uh, uh, Cecily's face, you can tell that she was not expecting to hear that. And it just kind of broke her just for a little bit. And that's the kind of energy he brings to a sketch where he can rattle a veteran cast member just a little bit, but not make and actually make the sketch just exactly. a little bit better. When, by he would doing play, it. when he was Gumby on Weekend Update, I could tell Che was kind of like thrown off here and there. But he, I could tell at the same time he was in, Che was enjoying uh, the energy and being thrown off the energy that yeah. Eddie brought as Gumby to Weekend Update. Yeah, you got the impression that they were re-seeing it through their younger eyes right like i 
and they were lost in that moment. And that energy made it a little bit different and interesting, but I think I'm going to go rewatch it. <laughs> I'm going to go rewatch it. <laughs> yeah, I've got it saved too somewhere. Okay. Um, that was a good one. Uh, Eddie Murphy, tough to tell the story of SNL without mentioning Mr. Murphy. So he appears on all three ballots. Great. Uh, Dave, you're up next. Well, I'm going to jump into the hosts and I'll, I'm going to throw out Steve Martin as a slam dunk host as well. Certainly one of the people have done, who have done it the most, who had done it yeah. the most earliest, who, uh, never has had a bad show has, is probably by himself, my single f- favorite sketch of all time. The, um, yes. Holiday wish from Steve Martin is just is is just hall of fame sketch it's top top three sketch um his recurring characters as a host he every time he cameos it's still good he's great uh every time you see him because he cares so much and his writing is sharp and he's absurd he he's kind of um absurd comedy fit the early ethos of the show um and he has been there Several generations of cast members have gotten to work with him. Um, so I feel as hosts go, he would be the top of the list. Uh, you know, of course, I think Alec Baldwin and John Goodman have done more hosting than him at this point. Um, but uh, Steve is there first and continues to do it. Uh, and I think we're all, we're all, the fact that we're all hoping for a Martin Short, Steve Martin hosted episode comes coming soon, it just tells you that like, we still, he's still in the good graces of yeah. somebody that we can't wait to see host again. So I think that for me makes him a Hall of Fame host, if not the first Great. Hall of Fame host that should be Does in there. Steve Martin appear on either of your ballots. Yeah, you know, when I was growing up, I actually thought Steve Martin was a cast member. I think you uh, and a lot of people. Snell. Yeah, I really did. Um, before I started getting really heavy into the show, I, I and just kind of watched reruns on Comedy Central. I kind of thought he was a cast member. That's just how how synonymous he is uh, with the show. He's the quintessential host to me. He was number four on my list. Um, he, uh, no doubt, the top host on my list for many of the reasons that that Dave said. Um, he's responsible for maybe my favorite cold open, which was the not gonna phone it in tonight. Yes, uh, which was just seriously classic that was amazing uh one of the best cold opens ever um he just i think steve martin just gets the show he 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 just gets it and uh, i know he has a comedy background in this case but even when compared to other people with comedic backgrounds steve martin blows them out of the water um has as host so so that's another one of those slam dunks i think yeah he's quite ageless you're right about you know him appearing for all of these generations it's never awkward and I never feel like, you know, the old veteran showing up, like he's right back in it. And he definitely is the type of person who the audience can't help but really clap for a long time for. Like they, they need to pause while they're clapping for him. I clap at home in my own living room because <laughs> I'm so excited to see him. And I also thought he was a host, uh, a cast member for the longest time. He is woven into the fabric of that show. Absolutely. Oh, that's a great way to put it. He's absolutely part of the flag for sure. Yeah. Great. Um, so you're up to bat, Kirsten. Well, again, I'm in random order here, but 
to switch things up a bit, I have the Lonely Island on here as, a, as one of my votes. For me, what they represent was the generation of folks that likely grew up watching and then really kind of pinched themselves to find themselves on the show and really created kind of the digital era of what they were producing and how memes started being produced around it and the kind of virality of what they were doing online. So that was a, a bit of a shift and a big moment for that show when, yes, it's called Saturday Night Live, but the idea of, you know, pre-produced, pre-recorded material having such a uh, an audience outside of the live show itself. I think that was a very big moment for them and um, has become so much one of the favorite things about seeing the show every week is what is that going to be and will it take off? And you're, I cross my fingers whenever I see what I want it to be amazing now that Please Don't Destroy has kind of taken that on. I really want them to be amazing and they started that and they did some pretty incredible and very funny things. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're responsible for some of the, the funniest things I can remember in the last 15 years of the show, for sure. Uh, did uh, they appear as a trio? This is a, an interesting one because they are a trio. Um, they were friends from school. They decided to stay behind in LA and um, ended up you know, making history. Did they appear on anybody else's ballot? Dave, were they on yours? Yeah, they are, for sure. Um, very few. There have been a few people that have changed Saturday Night Live while they were on the show. Certainly, Eddie Murphy is one of those people. Will Ferrell is one of those people. Tina Fey is one of those people. But very few people have changed comedy while on Saturday Night Live. Some people have changed comedy after they left. Maybe Tina has changed comedy after she left. But Lonely Island changed comedy while they were on Saturday Night Live, and that's very hard to do as the new kids uh, uh, amongst other, uh, fantastic comedians. So I think that alone, you know, they had been trying to do taped bits all the way from Albert Brooks through Gary Weiss, even Adam McKay tried to start the digital short revolution and didn't really get it going, but these guys cracked the code and married Saturday night live and YouTube in a way that nobody else just they were at the right time at the right place and with the right talent and sensibility. And there's so many, I mean, laser cats, uh, is fantastic. I mean, uh, I could, so many Jack Sparrow. I think there's no, every time, uh, uh, Timberlake sings step two, put your junk in that box. My wife giggles so hard. Uh, every time, every Christmas episode, it happens every time. Um, so it's one of the funniest things ever that, uh, and, uh, of course, Chronicles of Narnia yeah. kick, uh, was like number two. And that was, I remember watching that over and over and over and over again that night, that night when it aired, I just remember watching it over and over and over again that night. Same. I uh, think I, yeah, that was one of the first things that, that I would have forwarded to someone like the first pieces of online content that I yes. was sharing because I loved it so much. And it was this, crazy different thing. And I had the ability to say, check this out, check this out, check this out. 
And that's a moment for me. That's really wild. Yeah, because prior to that, it was all water cooler talk, right? It was all, you know, your impression of it, uh, describing the moment to your buddies. And now all of a sudden you could pull out your smartphone and, you know, or your desktop, I suppose, in this case. But uh, yeah. Thomas, were they on your list? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They invented a genre. You know, going into this uh, SNL Hall of Fame process, I think I was a bit dismissive of the Lonely Island. Um, uh, just, I probably just forgot the impact that they made. Um, John Schneider, um, from our friend from the SNL network, uh, had a, he was on the episode, um, advocating for the Lonely Island and he did a really good job of it. And I started, you know, rewatching, uh, old episodes and thinking about it more and more. And they ended up, um, comfortably, uh, in, in, in my voting, they were number six on my list. Uh, actually, uh, Kirsten, uh, and Dave both brought up, brought up great points. And I think they came along at an interesting time, just as far as televised sketch comedy. Um, because about the early two thousands, I would say when Chappelle show got popular, SNL started getting compared to other sketch comedy shows that were pre-taped. So, so people, uh, comedy nerds or not would watch these pre-taped sketch shows and compare it to a totally different thing that SNL was trying to do. Um, often unfavorably because these pre-taped shows had chance, had time to do edits and rewrites and different takes. Uh, we all know the reasons why you can't compare those two, but a lot of people did. And I think the Lonely Island ushering in a new era of pre-tapes helped close the gap between, in a lot of people's minds, between SNL and something like Chappelle's show, and then later on, like Key and Peel and shows like that. And that was really important for SNL um, to get those those quality pre-tapes in. Uh, and, you know, as mentioned, um, they were one of the first, Lonely Island was one of the first videos the chronicles of narnia one to to uh lazy sunday to go viral nobody really knew what going viral meant until until that video really um uh, so just just how important they were to the show um to me yeah uh, lonely islands a slam dunk and i that surprised me because going into this process i didn't necessarily consider them that way oh that's really wild then that's so cool that uh you're able to you know um go and do do some enjoyable watching and and yeah. have it change your mind. That's it's not. It's, I was the say, lettuce. The first thing they ever did, the lettuce sketch, uh, is still near and dear uh, to my heart. I think that's just so absurd it's and so hilarious. Absurd. <laughs> yes, <laughs> reminds me of like a kids in the hall kind of sketch. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we're back at you then, Thomas. I think right because Kirsten, that was you, right? Yeah. So we're back at you, Thomas. All right. Um, let's go kind of in the middle. Um, I want to talk about uh, John Mulaney. I actually had him uh, number 11, Kirsten's fist pumping and doing a, a fun dance over there. Uh, I know that was your episode, Kirsten. You did a great job of talking about John Mulaney. Um, I have him um, sliding it at number 11 uh, on my list. Um as host, uh, I, I, I kind of thought of him a little bit as a utility player, but I think for me, he gets in on his um, hosting credentials uh, alone. And I had mentioned Melissa McCarthy as someone who pops. Uh, I feel the same way about John Mulaney. Um, he's he's responsible. Every I think every Mulaney episode for me produces a handful of moments that just that just rattle around in my brain weeks and months and now years after uh after he hosted um 
and he invented, he kind of, he found his own niche as host. And it's something that I look forward to. I don't know if some people are sick of it. I'm not, which is the big musical number. And that's something that he brings. I consider that, I know Dave talked about like a recurring character. That's kind of a recurring sketch format that I really look forward to every time Mulaney hosts. And I've enjoyed all five of them uh, so far, all five musical numbers. Um so that's something like when when Mulaney's announced as a host, I get filled with anticipation that other hosts uh, don't give me. And um, I mean, his new his his latest episode from this season forty seven um, is probably one of the two or three best episodes of the year for me. Yeah. Monkey Judge was my favorite, maybe my favorite sketch of the entire <laughs> year. I think that's like a perfect sketch, honestly. Like I would teach that in sketch writing uh, class. Uh, the Monkey Judge sketch is, uh, was just brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, so yeah, John Mulaney uh, at number 11. And I know Kirsten's probably chomping the bit to talk about this. Oh, but I'm curious to hear Dave's take. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. Everyone's First. heard me talk about John Mulaney. You're going to yeah, say Dave, you didn't hear it. vote for him? Oh, wow. um, he was not on my list uh, as a host. If he was on the writer list, I definitely would have considered him mm-hmm. uh, for the for the Writers uh, Hall of Fame, but not as a host yet. Um, he has, yes, I, I look, very much look forward to those musical sketches. I think there is a diminishing return happening with them, but I still enjoy the hell out of them and I look forward to them and I'm still enjoying them. Um, <laughs> and also the uh, line dancing thing he does uh, at, at the, the uh, at the yeah, uh, yeah. Um, all black family gatherings, uh, which is great. I love that too. Um, he's very charming. I very much look forward to his monologues when he hosts for sure. But again, there's so many more hosts that have contributed over the longevity of the show uh uh to um it I, I just i don't think i don't think he's done enough as a host yet it's been very recent i think it, for me he's not first ballot host he's definitely first ballot writer um but it's not possible this year so that's that's where i'm with Mulaney. i love i love his stand up he's one of my favorite stand ups of all time um but as a host i i so Not before interesting because we talked about Dan Aykroyd. We looked at him. He was our EGOT. Is that right? Yes. And we kind of took in, although he's mm-hmm. nominated as a mm-hmm. cast member, we took in all of the ways that he's contributed. So, writer and yes. host. Yes. Writer and um, host. But. That's it. Stefan. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Stefan, for sure. As he appeared with writing. Stefan on one of he his did. 16 gigs, and with I thought his that account, went really was really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, he even did a weekend update shot cameo as a as a guest spot too. But as a host, okay, he's I good. Think he's we really mentioned good. That there are people that were he's really good. <laughs> you know, made for this show. They were weird scienced into being perfect yes. for this show. They have writing skills and yes. not just comedy skills, but physical comedy skills. Oh. They're charismatic. They're talented in other ways. Like there are, are so many things that go into this recipe. And I do think he is one of the people that was made for this show. It is, there is a symbiotic relationship between the show and him. And he, I think he'll be forever linked to this show. And although he has hosted five times and he's made a mark each time, I obviously feel confident putting him in a Hall of Fame because I think he's 
only going to earn his place there as we move forward even more. All right. Sure. All right. Sure. <laughs> I, 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 I know I totally see you saying, but that is, that is future anticipation. Not okay. Well, let me know when he gets your vote. Up, yeah. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> oh yeah. All I right. will. I Dave, for sure. Will. Up. I for sure will. Um, I'm going to choose, I'm going to go Miley Cyrus as a musical guest. I think she's my number one musical guest on this list. I think, you know, I might've put Blues Brothers or Dave Grohl or Paul Simon on this list. But uh, as far as this list goes, uh, Miley Cyrus for me is somebody very deserving because, um, A, she was (laughs) the subject of a sketch uh, before we ever really got to even know her uh, on the show. Uh, she came on, did one of those, uh, I'll do, you do me and I'll be in your sketch things with Vanessa Bayer. And then every time she comes back as a musical guest, it's something interesting. It's something cool. I love the covers that she does. I love the one she did with um, uh, Sh- uh, yeah. Sean Lennon. That- um, is that Sean Lennon or that's right? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. So this yeah. is Christmas. He did. So this is Christmas with John Lennon's kid. Wish huge. Yeah. The at home one, when she did Pink Floyd's wish you were here, um, even in, in her own songs too, they're fantastic and they're showstoppers and they're their own sketch in and of themselves. The aesthetics that she throws in there, the costumes that she wears in there, very few musical guests. I will watch, on repeat as soon as the performance is over i gotta watch that right again and i've done that several times with miley cyrus i'm not even the hugest miley cyrus fan i do like her music but i'm not like oh my god miley cyrus can't wait but like she is a showstopper every time she's on i love her voice i love how where her voice has gone in the last decade and how she's grown with the show i think we've seen her grow up on the show uh from teen pop idol to serious artist um and uh i think out of everybody here miley cyrus deserves to be in the hall of fame for musical guests is she on either of the other uh, of your lists kirsten or thomas no Um, i agree with everything you've said and i appreciate her so much i think she's incredibly talented and i Love that she's been on the show and gets featured in so many sketches. I don't connect her in my head to SNL. Um, but that's why I haven't put any musical guests sure. on and right or wrong. Um, I just don't connect the music as much to it. I think there's one band that SNL introduced me to back in the day, which was, I want to say it was Vampire Weekend or Phoenix or maybe both. And I saw that and I immediately had to look them up. And, but other than that, it's, um, they're, they're just little, little breaks for me. I don't put as much weight into the music of the show, which is why they don't have any votes there. But I 100% agree with everything you said. Cool. And much like Kirsten, I was I was actually pretty harsh as far as mu- musical guest goes uh, in the voting, and I I've, I did vote one musical guest uh, into my Hall of Fame. Uh, Miley Cyrus was not one of them. Um, I, I can tell that she's a musical guest who gets the show, 
and is willing to play and fits in, which I definitely appreciate. Um, I don't think I don't think it's weird that she's nominated or anything like that. Uh, I definitely she wasn't one where I just saw her name and pass. I did consider it and think about her performances and what she means to the show. Um, but it was just a combination of I don't really associate her with SNL all that much and just yeah i tend to a lot of times the music on the show is a chance for me to go let the dogs out or go use the restroom (laughs) or go do something just to kind of give let me catch my breath before weekend update uh honestly so in, in that sense i was pretty harsh um as far as voting in a musical guest and i actually was on a show with jamie talking about a musical guest and oddly enough I did not vote for them uh, either. I would discuss Nirvana, um, which that, you know, there's a real reason for that. Um, Dave mentioned uh, Dave Grohl, and that's maybe someone who I actually want to look into uh, in the future um, as far as him being nominated. But um, I'll save my the, the person who I did vote for um, as musical guest or the band who I did vote for. Um, but Miley Cyrus wasn't one of them, but I respect Dave, uh, and, and his opinions on that. Definitely. All right. So we are, um, in need of a vote uh, of a candidate from Kirsten. I'm going to go with Tina Fey. Good pick. Uh, Tina Fey for me is very linked to SNL and the history of SNL, both in her writing and clearly she's done some performance as well. And if you look back when she was just a writer, she'll pop up in sketches here or there. I always think of one where she had a really funny wig on with curly hair and she had her lip pulled up and it was about your safe word and hers was Chesterfield. (laughs) If you remember that, she'll pop up at the weirdest times when you least expect it because she was just pulled in sometimes to these sketches um, her role on Weekend Update, uh, the kind of sense of humor and sensibility that she brought to it, again, right place, right time in terms of, you know, females having a voice on that show um, in a very impactful way. Uh, I just absolutely love her sense of humor. And I, I in, in the world I live in, she's nominated 100% and she becomes a member of the Hall of Fame. Excellent. I like that world. <laughs> I wouldn't want to paint it, though. Um, Thomas or Dave? So, to me, Tina Fey honestly might have been the most interesting uh, case study amongst everybody on this list um, because she... You know, she's been a host. She was the head writer. She was on Weekend Update. Don't know how many sketches she was in necessarily, but um, she's just done so many things. I kind of looked at her as utility player uh, more so than just inducting her as a writer. And I got, I thought of what Jamie had, has been saying about, you know, can you tell the story of SNL without this person? And even though I wrestled with Tina Fey, whether I was going to include her or not, I ultimately did. She was number 14 on my list uh, because ultimately I don't know that you can tell the story of SNL without talking about Tina Fey. And to me, that overrided kind of everything as far as strictly like what, you know, what sketches did she write? How, what did she contribute there? To me, she it was just like, I can't imagine doing a oral history, one of the 50th anniversary of SNL and 
even glossing over Tina Fey, like she's probably going to be a big part uh, of something like that. So for, for those reasons, I did vote Tina Fey into my hall of fame. Great. How about you, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. Um, she changed Saturday night live, uh, just because of who she is. Um, not for any mission that she had to change Saturday night live, but because, that's the kind of person she was. She was, um, I, when I got to Chicago at second city, I started hosting in those rooms and, uh, house managing. And Tina was on the stage at that point. It was her last show at second city. And she was the first person to kind of gender parody the, the cast at second city too. So she's, and the sketches she was putting up for that show are, maybe some of the strongest satire I've ever, to this day I've ever seen. And when you see a Tina Fey sketch, Tina Fey written sketch on Silent Live, you can tell that Tina wrote it. It has Tina's tone. It has Tina's stamp. It's, you can feel, and very few writers have that um, in their writing where you can like feel them, you know, uh, uh, certainly Aaron Sorkin has that kind of feel to it. Uh, and, um, Neil Simon has his own kind of like rhythm. Tina Fey has a rhythm to her writing that is uniquely hers, no matter who's saying it. And she writes good jokes for other people, not just for her. I think that was where Mulaney's sitcom kind of failed Mm -hmm. because every character sounded like Mulaney. Whereas Tina Fey can write from different perspectives and get across not like her particular voice, but her particular sense of humor. Um, comes through louder than like a Tina character, you know, obviously Liz Lemon is based on her and all that stuff, but you know, when she's writing for other people, you hear her sense of humor more than you hear Tina, which is powerful writing. And it only makes sense that the, okay. So Thomas, you are up with your next pick and who have you got? Yes. So I want to actually go back around to talk about a cast member. Um, I want to talk about number seven on my list, Gilda Radner. And to me, she was a no-brainer. Um, she was a trailblazer. I know people often think of her being a trailblazer for one obvious reason, but I uh, I kind of thought about it in a couple different ways uh, with Gilda. Um, she definitely blazed the trail for, for women on SNL and women in comedy, maybe in general. She, uh, she was on the ground floor. And there's this old, tired notion that women aren't funny or, you know, um, the, the, that's just, that's just kind of a tired thing that a lot of misogynists in the comedy world, um, say, and I can't even imagine in 1975, um, how pervasive that was. And, um, Gilda along with Lorraine Newman and Jane Curtin, what they had to battle, um, to, to make names for themselves in the comedy world. So Gilda definitely, you know, was a trailblazer for women in comedy and women on SNL, um, also I think she was one of the first to really take advantage of weekend update as a cast member and do those weekend update pieces. Yeah. Um, so she had, uh, Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, uh, before that she had Emily Latella who she appeared with on weekend update over 25 times, uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Over a few years. Yeah. I mean, there were only but seven cast members at the time. So if you wanted something on weekend update, you could probably get your character on. Um, so, so um, at the very least with those two characters, uh, Gilda definitely found her lane on weekend update. 
And, you know, that's something that we see even today we take for granted uh, as far as um, seeing at least two weekend update pieces every weekend. Um, sometimes they tell cast members, especially new ones, if you're having trouble getting a sketch on, maybe try to work at it as a weekend update piece. And so we've seen that with like Aristotle this year did that um, Laughintosh 3000 that I thought was awesome. It was great. Um, yeah. Sarah Sherman uh, roasting Colin Jost uh, was really good this year too. So um, the weekend update piece is something that we just take it uh, for granted that it's just part of the fabric of the show. And I think Gilda was the first cast member to really, um, to really find that as use that as a lane to, to get airtime and to, uh, and to get out there and get characters out there. So Gilda Radner, number seven on my list in the hall of fame. I wholeheartedly agree. I think it's really interesting that her, what you said about weekend update, that was likely the only avenue open to her based on what she was facing. And and that did become something that is now a, a definite brass ring. You want a recurring character. If you look at, you mentioned some, some great new cast members. And I think of Bowen Yang also, who with that uh, trade minister and the Titanic iceberg, like that was brilliant. Both of those incredible, but really expedited his rise on the show because of those two moments, those appearances that he had. So I hadn't really connected the dots on on the role she played in establishing that as a, a medium for cast members to, whether or not they were trying something out or wasn't worthy of building a sketch around, it has become a major component of the show and that she was part of that, unfortunately, because it may have been the only one of the only ways that she was getting airtime, um, it's turned into something really special. And I, I agree with you. She's on my list for sure. She is referenced and beloved by anyone who's ever been on that show. We still talk about her a lot to this day. Um, one of my favorite sketches is uh, Lisa Lupner and the Repairman. Yeah. Um, with uh, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, obviously. Um, but yeah, she, she's on my list. And I agree. What imagine what she could do now if she was on that show? I oh, mean, if she was unleashed. If she, oh, like, yeah. without any of what 1975 was throwing her way, it would have been incredible. And I think that excitement and enthusiasm is what fuels now what so many women are experiencing on that show. Which is, yeah, just give us some room. We will make everyone laugh just as much as anyone else would. And she she is a trailblazer there. So I absolutely give her one of my votes and have no argument at all and agree with everything you've said. Yeah. And I found out actually a, a big what if I found out today um, in March of 1988, she was going to host yeah. an episode. I actually didn't know that yeah. until today. Um, and the, I can imagine how special that oh. hosting gig yeah. uh, would have been. Um, and I, I had no idea. Did you know about that, Jamie? I did. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it made it made her passing even more tragic, right? Yeah. That we just didn't get to see. Where are you at with Gilda, Dave? Yeah, of course, she's definitely on my ballot, one hundred percent. She, yeah, you know, she if she wasn't in Saturday Night Live, she would have been in the SCTV cast. For sure, because she was just in that crowd, and I'm sure they f created the SCTV show in response to Gilda's Famous Now, because that, that was her crew uh, yeah. that uh, 
created SCTV. And she knows she's not just a trailblazer, but she inspired millions of women to get into sketch comedy. Um, I, when I think of Gilda Radner, I don't think of her characters as especially feminine, um, even though they uniquely are her. They are just weirdos. They're all just weirdos. And she was not afraid to be a weirdo and to be vulnerable, which, you know, up until her, there weren't that many women in Sketch Comedy that could that that did that. It was all very self-depreciating and going going along with the misogyny jokes. But she just was had a collection of weirdos that we could all identify with, you know. Um, every single one of them. I can't, I'm trying to think of one character of hers that isn't like an outcast of society that <laughs> she just in, physically inhabits. And her, phys, her physicality is just beyond reproach. Her, her gifts as a physical comedian, as good as anything Martin Short ever did, or Jim Carrey ever did physically or with characters. Gilda's up there for sure. Mm-hmm. And just beloved. Absolutely beloved. I love how those yes. characters Cherished. too, they, they kind of gave permission for women on television to not look like a supermodel, like embrace the character and, and ugly is the wrong or word. Like, you know what I mean, or clown or be ugly, but just like get into character and, and lose all of the ego yeah. around that. The pressure was off that you had to look so polished and perfect. And Candy that character slice, requires that you have the frizzy hair and that you are, that's who that person is. So, you know, embrace that. And, and that's why we get Heidi Gardner doing the security guard in the Michael Jordan video mm-hmm. with hair in her legs. <laughs> Perfect example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's continue this train marching onward. Um, Mr. Buckman, you're up. I'm going to bring up the uh, episode that I did. Uh, and that is for Franken and Davis in the writing category. Um, I think they are such a seminal part of the infrastructure and the skeleton of what the writer's room has been, you know, they are, I think they've done it the longest. They have 15 seasons. Each of them has 15 seasons, 14 together and one separate. Um, They were there for the seventies in the original, the original, writing team. They were there in the eighties to kind of help, um, uh, uh, Lauren bring it back. They even tried to wrestle it somewhere in the early eighties back to their control <laughs> and the night and through the nineties and, you know, multiple appearances, you know, they were featured performers. They were a, the first writing team to ever be hired like lonely Island, like, uh, uh please don't destroy, uh, like uh, Dratch and Faye, they were the first writing team to be hired. Um, they were head writers. They were producers. They were uh, featured performers. Um, and they even got their own segment uh, where they got to write whatever they wanted and talk to the camera for five minutes a week, which is unheard of from writers. <laughs> uh, right. Please don't destroy. seems to have that going on right now. Uh, but you know, I just, and also their sense of humors and the amount of recurring characters that they invented. You're talking Coneheads. You're talking, um, uh, Stuart Smalley. You're talking Theodoric of York. You're talking Nick the Lounge Singer. Uh, I'm, I'm missing a couple of other early ones, but the amount of 
DNA that they created for the show. It still is in the show's DNA today. Absolutely, yeah. These two guys. They drew the blueprint, right? And and, and, and this touched is, multiple generations of casts. Yeah. And I know at the top of the show, Kirsten was mentioning how it's hard to get historical data on who wrote what sketches. So writers for a long time, it was, it was hard. You know, you, you really had to have your own stamp and your own voice uh, in your writing to know for people to know that you wrote a sketch. And I think Franken and Davis had that. I think you can tell that it was Al Franken or Tom Davis or both who were behind a sketch. They had their own, um, voice and points of view and how many how many even cast members who who on snl gets leeway to have their own variety show within the show <laughs> and that's essentially that's essentially what they had dave said they had a, they had five minutes to kind of do what they wanted so they would go up there as a team on stage and kind of have their own little variety show and dave made such a good case on in his show that he prompted me i'm going to show here on screen um i'm showing everybody the tom davis book um yeah 39 years of short-term memory loss. Actually, after listening to Dave's uh, episode um, with you, Jamie, um, it prompted me to actually order um, this book. I haven't started it yet, but I, the reason I ordered it was because of Dave's episode. Oh my God. Um, he brought up some really good points, and I uh, I did vote them. I have Rankin and Davis <laughs> um, on my ballot. Nice, <laughs> Thomas. That means a lot to me. I also want to throw out, he also wrote Continent. Tom Davis also wrote The Continental for Christopher Walken. Oh, yes. Classic. Well, I am going to admit that I don't have enough information about these guys, but I am going to go order that book and I'm going to do some more research and I do have two votes left and I'm going to leave one of those open because that may happen. I I actually, I hadn't realized this five minutes of open. That's remarkable. I didn't realize that they had that five minutes of, that's, I can't imagine that happening for anyone. So I'm very curious. I do think I have some ignorance on, on what beyond what you've mentioned, what they wrote. So I will go educate myself and I'm going to leave a vote open and I'm going to go order that book for real. Cool. Oh, great. Cool. 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 All right. So, so Kirsten, you're up then. Well, your pick in the spirit of remembering fantastic people who would be on the show today if it, if they were still with us, I have Phil Hartman. Uh, he also seems like someone who was created in the weird science machine for this show. <laughs> when I think about all of the characters that he's done, even his voice, like he, he could play a politician and he played so many. I mean, he was Clinton, Trump and Reagan um, or a wacky character that has no basis in reality, this caveman or a Frankenstein. Um, and then an Ed McMahon, like he, he was so versatile and was just so in on it. And just as we have said a few times now, got it. He is one of my favorites and he is also, um, referenced and included in so many of the kind of best of moments that he absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame here. And, and again, someone that if I, I'm sure he would still be on the show, Keenan would not be the longest running. It would be Phil Hartman <laughs> um, if he was with us still today. 
I, I have to. Agree. I have to Phil, guess that Hartman appears on on your ballot as well. I'm guessing Phil Hartman's one of my all time is I, top two maybe. Yeah, uh, favorites of all time. Uh, just I when I was fourteen, I wanted to be Phil Hartman in the worst way. That's who I wanted to aspire to be. Is not only just to be him, but to be that guy in the sketches to uh, have that kind of commanding presence. You know, he really inspired me to kind of like get into improv and sketch and really hit me at the right exact time. And I just loved him. I loved when he came on and I mean, so many funny, funny, funny things and just how he can, can hold the room that Reagan, that Reagan sketch alone. Um, oh, that Reagan sketch where is brilliant. It's, I play it for my sketch, uh, students at cold town. Uh, we have, uh, it's definitely one that I use for sure. Um, uh, as a, as a teaching tool, uh, because there's just so much going on in it that is a valuable lesson in sketch writing and sketch performing. Uh, he's just, he's one of the goats of all time. Yeah, he's, in my opinion, Phil Hartman is in the conversation for maybe the greatest cast member of all time. He's like on my Mount Rushmore. I have him number two behind Eddie Murphy on my list right here. Um, he actually, Phil Hartman actually is one of the main influences as far as my comedic sensibility goes as a viewer and as a consumer of comedy and also just as like just kind of being funny around my friends and everything. Uh, you know, in the early 90s and late 80s of SNL, a lot of people who I knew gravitated toward like Dana Carvey, Mike Myers, Chris Farley. But there was something about Phil Hartman that stood out to me. And I think it's because I identified with a lot of the dry sense of humor that he could convey. And so when I was around my friends, I would say something, I would say a joke, but it would be played in the most dry way possible for comedic effect. And I got a lot of that from people like Phil Hartman, honestly. And when I saw him, when I started getting really into SNL, I identified with him because I had a dry sense of humor, but I didn't quite know that, that you could be a popular comedian with a dry sense of humor until I started watching Phil Hartman on SNL and he just totally blew my mind and made me feel confident as just somebody who enjoyed comedy. Um, Phil, and we mentioned, I mean, glue guys, Dan Aykroyd, Phil is maybe the, he's the consummate glue guy. He can deliver whatever you need in a sketch. He could be the most outlandish character. Kirsten referenced unfrozen caveman lawyer, which was just on its face, just a ridiculous premise that should not have worked. (laughs) But Phil Hartman made unfrozen caveman lawyer work. Um, He could also just play the straight guy in like uh, Matt Foley sketch. He was just the dad that was just sitting there, he wasn't doing anything wacky, but he made it so the wackiness of Chris Farley kind of shined through. Phil was just such a team player, and I could go on and on about him, but just slam dunk, like, great choice, Phil Hartman. Mm-hmm. I can picture, too, the comedians that you mentioned that were in his era, they're the ones slipping on the banana peel, and he's the one who yeah. camera cuts to him and he just winks. Like, and that's all it took. Like, that's a moment I made up. But, to you know, they were really out there hot dogging for the laughs and he really could just sit back and have confidence in the subtler aspects of what it took to really 
create comedy. If if Sergeant Bilko, if him and Steve Martin had swapped characters, that movie would have worked. Because <laughs> if if Phil Hartman was the uh uh the the straight talking but also duplicitous person who had like two secret lives and Steve Martin was the heavy and the, and the bag, it, it totally would have worked but anyway I I completely agree with you and I'm also reminded of Phil Hartman's cameo in So I Married an Axe Murderer yes he completely he completely stole a scene and he he didn't shout I don't I don't think he shouted one time he was just playing it straight he played oh, yes. the, the uh, tour guide at Alcatraz and he just totally stole that scene in a, in a way that I think only Phil Hartman could and that's that's what he brought to the show oh, that's just so- right I think on paper a lot of those characters would have looked pretty black and white mm-hmm. and what he brought to them is what made it so magical. Also a great writer on top of that too. Very contributed heavily in the writer's room as well. Uh, it wasn't just somebody who showed up and did the show. He, he would write the, you know, I'm, a lot of people don't remember that he co-wrote Pee-wee's big adventure. That's right. Um, yes. Cause he came from that, that, that show on the groundlings, but uh, he's a right. fantastic writer on top of being a, a fantastic yeah. stage presence. He was he was pretty much a fully formed adult when he started on the show. He was on the older side of when people usually yes. yeah. start on SNL. He was in his late 30s, I believe, when he became a cast member. So he had already lived life, and he was a little more grounded than somebody say like say in their early 20s who who, who started on the show. And I think we saw a lot of that uh, on screen. Yeah, I know. I started watching really young, and seeing him, you know, when you're young, you think everyone's so old. And seeing a sense of humor from an older person really opened my eyes to to a lot of things. I'm like, oh gosh, look at like he's so funny. It's not just the people around me. Like that that could be my friend's dad. And he's so, so, so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a lot of fun just talking and remembering about Phil Hartman. Mm-hmm. Uh so a uh, great pick, Kirsten. And uh obviously echoed by your colleagues here, your your fellow pundits. Um Thomas, we're back to you. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm actually going to, I want to keep riding this wave of energy that Phil Hartman brought on me. And I want to talk about my number five. And it was an episode that I actually did with Jamie. I was a part of this episode was Chris Farley. And I mean, for for many of the same reasons that, that we talked about Phil, I think Chris, I mean, he was more bombastic in his performances uh, than Phil, but um, Chris just left such an impression almost immediately on the show. And um, when, when he started, it obviously begged the comparisons to John Belushi. And a point that I had brought up was the reason Chris Farley resonated with me like he did was he had that performance style that John Belushi could deliver but there was something more human that came across from Chris Farley. Um, no offense to John Belushi. I think, I mean, I, uh, no spoilers, but I mean, he's going to be a part of a Hall of Fame discussion, I'm sure, at some point. But um, Chris Farley, just there's something knowable about him. John Belushi almost seemed like an alien that performed comedy. I didn't really <laughs> feel like I knew John Belushi. Um, I, I wasn't around at the time, but like in reruns and other things I've seen him in, there was there was something that maybe he was guarding that I felt like Chris Farley 
was more open to sharing with the audience. There was just something more human about Chris Farley. And he, obviously, people remember the Chippendale sketch, the Matt Foley sketch, a lot of the bombastic sketches. But um, there's one moment that's more subtle in particular with Chris Farley that I want to bring up. It's um, during the Mr. Belvedere Belvedere sketch with when Tom Hanks hosted. <laughs> one of the greatest sketches, in my opinion, one of the greatest sketches of all time. And Chris... Farley stands up and he plays one of the um, members of the Mr. Belvedere fan club. And he's just kind of this like giddy, like, oh man, I love Mr. Belvedere. You know, I just want to, I want to know who he is. And I, I look up to him and he's, so he's saying all these glowing things about Mr. Belvedere. And then he just has this perfect comedic timing in there, this perfect pause. And he says, should we kill him? Like, it's just like the perfect beat. Like, Chris knew how to hit those beats perfectly. Just from him gushing about Mr. Belvedere, perfect beat into should we kill him. And that and he played it pretty subtly, too. And Chris could do that. Chris Farley could play things subtly uh, when he needed to. Uh, maybe not in his last season. <laughs> that was season 20, the infamous one. But um, I think there was more range to Chris Farley. Um than 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 met the eye necessarily so so yeah chris farley uh on my list great pick does he appear mm. on any other ballots he does for mine 100 percent. he <laughs> he is so much a part of snl for me i am also sad that you know we didn't get to continue to experience his evolution as a performer on the show because i think there was it seems like there was some insecurity in his part. He he threw himself into things so much. And what I've read about behind the scenes stuff is he'd try anything, you try anything, you try anything. And I would have loved to see him really settle into the confidence that he has as a performer that those subtleties are really some of those more magic moments. And it wasn't always about being the loudest, craziest, most arm flailing person out there. Having said that, those were amazing moments. And I <laughs> I actually don't know this, but did he ever break? Um I I don't I don't remember. Nothing memorable. I know he tried out. to get people, people to break. He broke um, people. In, in, but I don't know. Yeah, if in he the Pepper Boy sketch, I think he he um he he tried to break Adam Sandler and Chris Chris flew in just to do the this I think it was the Pepper Boy sketch. Um, and, and he plays this character when he, he, he asked the, 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 um, prop people to give him these, these outlandish sideburns. And he, he was just supposed to say, Oh, thank you, pepper boy. That would be great. But he just delivered it like, thank you, pepper boy. That would be great. And then I, I think Adam Sandler just kind of like, he had to turn his head or something, um, because Chris broke him, uh, in that moment. I don't remember Chris breaking though. That's a good, that's when a good, he's uh, running up question. the platform towards the UFO and his pants accidentally fall down. <laughs> He breaks. <laughs> oh, does yeah. he? Yeah, Scared. I watch that again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I Maybe remember. when he was on Weekend Update and he was supposed to get lifted off of his seat and it got yes. caught in the set, I think he, I think you could kind of see him break just a little oh, bit. That's funny. I think uh, <laughs> one of the my favorites is Schlitz, the the beer yeah. ad. Yeah. Uh, but the version with the Van Halen song, not the other one. Yeah, I think that's one. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah. They've changed yeah. it now because of licensing, right? Yeah. Uh, I he's also on my ballot for sure. Uh, he's so funny. I got to meet him twice because uh, wow, uh, just from being in Chicago improv, 
Um, you know, I was there, I was in classes when he, when he passed, uh, and I was working at second city. So I got to meet him a couple of times and he, not only does he make you feel like, you know, him, he does that when you're in person too. He, I just met him that night and he talked to me like he'd known me for 10 years. Um, and I, I, and I had actually believed him, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was, you get so pulled into his gravitational force. He had that in real life, not just to just tell through the camera, um, you know, but you tell those moments when he's pulling up his pants or he's flailing on the strings. He's from Chicago improvs. That's where he got so good at what he does. And he is road tested. He toured, uh, com sketch comedy and he, just, he tore it up and he was a student of art form. So he, he had been practicing for years and years and years before he'd gotten to that stage and how to do sketch comedy. And there he is in a cast full of standups, um, just completely dominating them. They're all funny, but amongst them, they all say that he was the funniest. Oh. And I think that speaks, uh, uh, eons about why he should be in the hall of fame. Yeah. yeah. Dude, that's you a know, really when Chris passed thing. away, I was 16. Oh, yeah. And, that was one of the first celebrity deaths where it really hit me mm -hmm. hard. Like I actually do remember crying when I found out that, that Chris passed away. And I think it's because that he seemed like the next door neighbor who I knew. And then he even had this effect through screen to make us think like that, that we knew him. And that was just really one of the celebrity deaths that, that, that affected me mm -hmm. uh, growing up uh, was Chris Farley for the reasons that you mentioned, Dave. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. He really brought himself whole self to work, right? Yeah. Harnessly. Yeah, I am. Um, I wonder how much the uh, improv folks break less than the stand-up folks. Has anyone ever looked at that? Because I think, you know, Matt Foley character broke everyone, but Will Ferrell also broke a lot of people. Like the mm -hmm. improv folks, I think definitely that, that tested. Um, Horatio would break a lot and he's from Chicago. Yeah. Improv. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but he would, Fair. but Horatio is a breaking artist. Like that's part of he his, is. even at second city, he would try to break people. And would love to, but it's just, he's, yeah, that was part of his. He, I've heard this Horatio thinks everything's funny. I've heard people um, for John Gabris, who knows Horatio talk about him. He's like, yeah, Horatio just thinks everything's funny. So he'll break like <laughs> yeah. all for anything. Yeah. yeah it's infectious. <laughs> yeah. Much like our nominee that we just spoke of, Chris Farley, for sure. Yeah. Infectious indeed. Dave, who you got next? I'm going to go with my other host. My only, my only other host pick, and that would be Justin Timberlake. Um, host, musical guest, five timer, recurring, recurring characters, beloved recurring characters in iconic sketches, helping to write iconic sketches, convincing Beyonce to do that iconic sketch. Um, he, he is a consummate host. He's in a way that nobody else, I think Lily Tomlin is the only other host on this list to do a musical uh, guest spot. But Justin Timberlake kills in his musical guest spots as well. So for me, you know, very few people that they have doing 
hosting and musical guest are really good at both. You know, Lizzo did a pretty good job. Halsey did a really good job, better than expected. But nobody brings both fronts as good as Justin Timberlake. Um, Bruno Mars? Uh, mm, he's okay at sketch. He's okay at sketch. Not as good uh, as Justin, like, you're right. Not like Justin Timberlake. No. He's got the, you know, the yeah. the Barry Gibb talk show. He's got the uh, uh, Mother Lovers uh, guys from Dick in a Box. Uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's got partnerships with different generations of casts and, uh, his five timer sketch was iconic. It was one of the iconic five timer sketches. Um, I just love every time he's on, uh, and he was there as a kid too. He's in a sketch within sync on top of that way back before he was, uh, so he's, he's been on the show since the early two thousands. It all, you know, solo artist with his group as a host special cameos 40th anniversary he's there he's present he's a part of the family and i i think he's just one of the best hosts uh maybe not like the amount of hosts in uh, steve martin or john goodman but i think he is one of the best hosts ever tough to argue tough to argue i mean he he was he was in tight with that cast and that cast was a murderer's row as well. Like, and, and he just fit so well with that, you know, with you that. You can even group. see it in that sync sketch that he's in, how much he just pops off the screen compared to the other four sync members. It's just like, Oh my God, of course it was all right there. Same thing with Harry Styles last night. Uh, <laughs> you just, he just pops. Does Justin you know Timberlake, when, uh, oops, sorry, go ahead. Oh, when, when Justin Timberlake first hosted, it really made me angry. Because I was jealous. <laughs> because he's this, he could dance, he could sing, he's good looking, he gets these beautiful women, and he's good at comedy too. Like, that's not fair. Like, I was just, I was just blown away by how good he was. And at the same time, I was like, man, like, does he just have to be talented at everything? He, could he go into the major leagues and, and, and hit 30 home runs tomorrow? Like, what, what can Justin Timberlake A good impressionist. Do? On top and he's of a pretty good impressionist. You know what? I, I'm halfway regretting not putting Justin Timberlake on my ballot. I really am. Um, if I had a number 16, he would be for all the reasons that you mentioned. Um, yeah, he's he's just one of those. It just seems like just talent in many capacities just just oozes uh through his veins, and 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 it's it's really an honor that he was tasked with him and Jimmy Fallon doing the monologue essentially for the, for the 40th, right? Like that's a huge honor. Lorne must see something in him to bestow that honor on him. So that, that, that that's actually, that's a, that's a great pick. Mm-hmm. So I wrestled with that one, but if you are counting, I have two votes left. I'm holding one for Franklin Davis, but I'm going to give that last one to JT. Yeah. For all the reasons that you've listed. Nice. He, I mean, yeah. I rewatched when he first hosted, I rewatched it many times because it was so funny. And to your point, Thomas, like, can he do everything? <laughs> uh, bring, he was bring it on down to Timberlakeville. Bring it on down to Timberlakeville. <laughs> that was a recurring one, which is a great one, too. And the Gib is, and yeah. Seeing him and Fallon together also just makes me happy. 
all of their, like the camp, when they're in the camp uh, cabin, like uh, in the beds and stuff, like all of those, yeah, so funny. One of those like can do everything type talents and friend of SNL. So yeah, he, he, you're right. He deserves to be on there. He does. Excellent. I love I have the one drama. vote left and I'm holding it. Yeah. I, I love Daniel the, uh, sell ice to an Eskimo here, huh? This is great. <laughs> Way to go, Dave. Unfortunately, it's only in the SNL metaverse. <laughs> Fine with me. <laughs> All right. Uh, Kirsten, you're up. Well, I have, for your consideration, John Goodman. Huh. I wish John Goodman, and I was appearing with as much frequency now as he did then, because he is also one of those folks who is just so game for whatever they put forth. And I remember, you know, Linda Tripp, obviously, but super fans. And I mean, I think he showed up recently as a, or recently ish as drunken drunker uncle, I think. Um, yeah. Also someone with a lot of versatility who will surprise you with what he kind of pulls out. And for the reason that he's, been he's number three i think on most hosted lists is that right yep he i mean he has to be considered just for that alone that he's been on that many times and he's done such a quality job each time i really hope that he comes back soon it would be great yeah because i mean he owned the 90s he was there every year of the 90s basically yeah 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 and i i think lorne you know he doesn't have weeks off necessarily but i think when he books somebody like John Goodman, he might, he, he just, there's less pressure. I think he probably, he probably feels less pressure that week because he knows that the show is in good hands with someone like John Goodman. And that really says a lot about a host where you could just come in, you know what the hell you're doing. Uh, you can fit in with the cast. You, you're willing to dress up, um, do crazy characters, play with the cast. Um, he's willing to, uh, you know, just be a more subtle focus. A lot of a, a lot of hosts maybe feel the need to be the center of every sketch. John Goodman doesn't. Um, a good example, I think, is the McLaughlin Group, uh, which is a wonderful sketch that any new SNL fan needs to go up and look up the McLaughlin Group, Dana Carvey, um, and whatnot. But John Goodman was in that sketch. But he just totally, he just kind of played the straight man who had good timing, good delivery. Um, Goodman could just get, give you whatever you needed uh, out of a host. And he, he does make my list. Uh, I, have, I have John Goodman uh, on my list. Excellent. Dave? John Goodman was uh, the hardest cut for me. I, he, he's the only one that I really struggled with uh, not including. Uh, because, you know, he's got a lot of the prerequisites. He's hosted so many times. He's so good at it. He's got recurring characters. Um, he Like uh, like Linda Tripp, he's got a um, uh, recurring role in uh, Bill Brasky. Like he's, he, yes. fits, he seamlessly fits into other people's sketches as if he could be a cast member, which I think he did audition uh very early on, but he could have easily been a cast member because uh, he's so good at the art form of sketch and uh, playing, you know, he's it's still always John Goodman, you know, he's not like, he's not slipping into characters. He's John Goodman with a wig or John Goodman with a bald cap or John Goodman uh, in a dress or whoever John Goodman is, but he's, 
so much fun and such a charming performer. I really enjoy him, but uh, there's just, you know, 15 other people or musicians that I just thought were had contributed just a little bit more. Certainly second ballot next year, for sure. John Goodman should be making it. Um, uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, but did not. So Justin Timberlake was my toughest cut and John Goodman was your toughest cut. So it kind of like the, yeah. the universe kind of balanced out the hosts right For there, sure. I think in some way. All right. Uh, Thomas, you're up. All right. Uh, I want to talk about a writer um, who's on my list and that would be Jim Downey. Um as we have mentioned before, it's hard for writers, especially before we knew exactly who wrote what, to really break through on the show as writers. But I think, especially given the importance and politics plays on SNL, you know, people say, oh, SNL is getting too political. It's been political since day one. And that's because of people like Jim Downey, who have had a huge voice. And I think, you know, we remember all those political sketches from the late 80s throughout the 90s and everything, Jim Downey's fingerprints are all over those political sketches in that era. Uh, he just had that mind um, to, to, to write about current events and what was in, what was in the news. And um, so he, his voice really shined through in an era of SNL where writers' voices didn't always shine through. Um, as a bonus, he was he he was in uh, a couple of great sketches, the Change Bank sketch from the early '90s. Jim Downey was in that one. He was in Eddie Murphy's White Like Me sketch, just kind of briefly, but he was in that sketch too. Um, but I think, as far as writers throughout SNL history and whose voices really shine through, it's hard to talk about SNL and SNL history without talking about Jim Downey. Yeah, yeah, he's great point. He's definitely on my list too. I mean, uh, I think, uh, he is such an important figure. Uh, I think, you know, even Dennis Miller said he's the second most important person on Science Live besides Lord Michaels. Uh, he, his political sketches have set the tone not only for, um, Saturday Night Live, or not even for comedy, but actual American discourse. He's, he's helped elect presidents. He's helped prevent people from being president. Uh, just the sheer force of his writing of comedy and satire. So I think if Saturday Night Live's mission is to uh, wrap up and set the tone for the American discourse, Jim Downey's very much a part of that conversation. I'd never He's heard. He's on my list as well. I'd oh, never heard the uh, the second most important person behind um, behind Lauren Michaels. That's fascinating. Yeah. Sorry, Kirsten. No, I was going to say he's on my list as well. Oh, great. Um, you know, if I look at sketch comedy shows, Saturday Night Live has a political voice, and that was shaped by Jim Downey and his writing, and before they really, really started leaning in on and over-indexing on some of the political sketches, um, I can think back to just how much we were anticipating them. You know, is Tina Fey going to show up as Sarah Palin? You know, is like, 
all of these moments that would happen in the real world, world politically, we then were waiting for SNL's take on it and who would show up in a cameo role and what would they say and do about the things that happen in the real world. And he is the driver behind that and SNL having a nuanced and mature and satirical voice and take on those things is because of him. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think Downey still comes around and guest writes to this day for the show. I think pretty sure I've seen him credited on Weekend Update. Oh, uh, wow. Che and Joe. So I, I'm, I, I'm, somebody probably correct me on this, but I think Jim Downey still works, at least works with Colin Jost a little bit on, on, on some stuff on the show. So his, so his fingerprints, even a little bit, I think, are still on the show to this day. That is wild. That's a long run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know where we're at. Who, who made that? That was mine. Oh, okay. so, I think so Dave, you're, you're up. I only have two left. I only have two left. Um, and I'll go with the one I bet is not on anybody else's list. Um, and I'm going to go with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Okay. As a musical guest. Simply because they've played on the show eight times. Eight different times over the course of four different decades, they appeared as a musical guest. And to be Saturday Night Live is about what is happening in the world right then, right there. Who's the hottest movie star weekend or TV star? Who's the hottest musical act? Let's make it a party that celebrates the week we just had, is what Saturday Night Live is for the culture. And for Tom Petty to be in that conversation eight times over the course of 40, 50 years is astounding. And certainly, I don't know any other music guest that appeared that many times. Maybe Dave Grohl, maybe Paul Simon, I'm thinking, uh, are up there. Maybe Miley, I don't know. But certainly Tom Petty and the amount of hits that he has is an astounding piece of songwriting, I think. Everybody knows how to sing almost every Tom Petty song there is. Uh-huh. <laughs> Certainly all the hits. Um, so Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers are an ingrained part of the rock and roll pop uh, culture um, that Silent Live has been, has included as part of their DNA since the very beginning. They wanted the top musical acts. Tom Petty is a top musical act for the exact same amount of years that Silent Live is on. Got famous at the roughly the same exact time. They both broke roughly about the same amount of time and they both had ups and downs in quality and popularity for decades and decades. So um, I think uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers for me is the only other musical act on this list um, that I think I would put into the hall of fame. Just for clarity, Probably you're not- right. Paul Simon is uh, number one at 10 and then Dave Grohl eight times with the Foo Fighters and two times with Nirvana. So, yeah. but but other than that, you're right. It's uh, it's back Eminem, Kanye, and the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers are all in the in that sort of clump, that eight clump. So it's hard to find the, people that don't like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So yeah, I throw them in there. Does Petty was Dave right? Does Petty appear on anybody else's ballot? And the Heartbreakers? I shouldn't just. No, uh, not on mine. But uh, again, I didn't include musicians. But I, I think you make a, a valid case for his continued 
um, relevance throughout the decades. So I can appreciate that. Um, well argued. Uh, Thank you. But I'm, st I'm, I'm not, I have one vote left. I'm still waiting for Franken and Davis in my research. So, <laughs> but uh, well argued, well argued. And I said that I had voted for one musical guest on my ballot and drum roll, Tom Petty and Heartbreakers were not. That oh, but to create some suspense, but um, no, that was very well argued. I do like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Uh, those songs just rattle in your brain like 25, 30 years plus later. Who doesn't, who hasn't uh, done the Jerry Maguire thing and belted out free falling when they were driving? Oh, right. You know, that's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers right there. So um, that's a very well argued, very, you know, if I was more prone to, to um, letting musical guests in, uh, Tom Brady and the Heartbreakers definitely would be um, near the top of the list, honestly. So I think it's just a matter of perspective there. Um, I certainly don't blame you for for putting them in. They they are um, they are obviously very good friends. Uh, were very good friends of the show. Yeah, for sure. If you look at the if you look at the the people that hosted the episodes that Penny and the Heartbreakers showed up on as well, it's all the who's yeah. who. It's it's um, uh, it's Tom Goodman, Hank. it's Martin, it's uh, Baldwin, it's it's Hanks. It's like right up there. So you I've, know, I'm onto this theory that you have now, Thomas. Where there are some weeks when Lauren says, "I just need to, I just need to take a break. Yeah. <laughs> I just need to phone it in a little bit." <laughs> Let's get Goodman and Tom Petty on the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put my feet up. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, Kirsten, you're you're you've exhausted your votes as you've. Uh, I have, yeah. Well. I've got my one remaining vote that I'm going to hold back. I will report back on that one, but uh, yeah, I pass, I guess. Yeah. Okay. All right, so Thomas, we're back to you. I guess <laughs> I'm right, guessing I'll we're going to get a musical guest now. Yeah, well, I have two left okay. on the ballot, and I will disclose my musical guest now. Right. And I did put Paul McCartney. I was wondering uh, if anyone was going to mention on, Sir Paul on my ballot. Yes. Um, how many, you know, how many musical guests are given the, you know, the privilege or trust to basically perform a whole number at the tail end of a sketch? Like they right. went from a sketch to Paul McCartney performing. Mm -hmm. And I, as someone who doesn't necessarily f view the music as like a completely integral part of the show, Paul McCartney really sticks out to me. And aside from his band called the Beatles, I think that's what they're <laughs> called. Um, he is pretty synonymous with Saturday night live uh, to me as well. And he's obviously good friends with Lauren. He's always around. I always hear um, when I hear cast members do podcasts recently, I was listening to uh, Mike Myers on with uh, David Spade and Dana Carvey and Mike Myers was mm -hmm. sharing a story about how important Paul McCartney and watching Paul McCartney perform on the show and after the show uh, was to him in the nineties. And he, so Paul McCartney out of any musical guest that I can think of, and certainly on this list is woven into the fabric um, of the show. And I think if we, you know, we did that, 50th year oral history of SNL. Um, if it was a sequel to the one SNL book, um, I would, I really do think you would see a lot of Paul McCartney stories and uh, more so than any other musical guest. So that's why I put Paul McCartney as my one musical guest on my ballot. Great. 
And Kirsten, obviously not on your ballot. Dave, uh, you had mentioned that you only had uh, Petty and the Heartbreakers. So was there, what, what are you guys, how, how are you guys feeling about Paul McCartney and the legacy that he left uh, or that he has uh, had on, on the show? Um, for me, Paul McCartney um, wasn't uh, close, but not, not that big of a consideration for me. I think, yeah, he's in the Chris Farley show. He does that as a, as a, as a sketch. He pops up uh, uh, doing background vocals and he's kind of fun. He's always like hanging around where the party is. But I don't think he's done the work. Uh, you know, he doesn't even show up. If he had come in on that seventy five hundred dollar yes. thing, that uh, if him and John Lennon actually made it down there for that and contributed to the show that way, for sure, for sure. But he doesn't show up until the very second to last episode of the original run is when he finally comes on Science Live, and I just feel like he's part of the party crew for Lauren, but not like. Putting in the work to kind of like make Saturday Live something special. He's rock royalty. He is a friend of Lorne's, uh, uh, a, a kind of a friend of the show. He was at the 40th anniversary party, sure, because he's Paul McCartney. So everywhere he goes, he's he's the king of the world. But um, I wouldn't put him in the Saturday Live Hall of Fame just yet. All right, and I understand that. Host a show, Paul McCartney. Well reasoned. Yeah, host yeah, a show. That's, that's true. No, that I definitely you can do it. Uh, understand that. <laughs> All right, Dave, who's your last pick? Uh, Kirsten, did you talk about Paul McCartney? Oh, I sorry. Well, oh, I'm sorry. I'm I agree with what you said. I agree with what you said, which is he seems like, uh, you know, yeah, hasn't necessarily put in the work. Come, you know, great person to come for a cameo. Gets people excited. Um, seems like that's what he'd be remembered more for than, mm-hmm. as you say, you know, putting in the work. If there and, were cameo. And, if cameo was a category, he'd be in there yeah. for sure. Oh yes, guest yeah. spot, guest spot, or cameo. Maybe we should yeah, have yeah. some supplementary awards. You know, mm-hmm. like technical awards. Uh, uh-huh. My last, my last entry is uh, the dearly departed Norm Macdonald. Um, I think Norm deserves consideration because, first of all, I think the greatest. Weekend Update anchor we had. I think he is very uh, ahead of his time in terms of comedy. And uh, uh, I think there are long stretches of silence when he's delivering those jokes. <laughs> but I think what, what Norm's genius was is that he just simply told the truth. And the truth in 1997 was very hard to hear. And his comedy, he he never says anything that's not true in his comedy. He's very, that's where he, it all comes from, is just saying the God's honest truth that nobody wants to really be talking about. Um, and I think he was way ahead of his time on Weekend Update. And what he did was bring integrity back to uh, that spot. Also, fantastic writer. Yeah. Uh, wrote the Jeopardy sketches. Fantastic cast member. Wrote uh, um, so iconic in so many different sketches. Also, great impressions as well, right? Yeah. A great, great impressionist. Yeah. Uh, David Letterman, Larry King, people you just wouldn't expect, Burt Reynolds, uh, for him to just be like popping out, like, yeah, I do these. And just Tarantino. So not <laughs> Tarantino. Yeah. Wonderful. Amazing impressionist, amazing writer, amazing cast member. And um, 
if I'm looking at my uh, seven folks that, uh, from the cast that I've put on there, he's the only weekend update. I put him on the weekend update uh, uh, desk uh, in that crew as well. Um, if they were going to form a all-star team, but Norm is, was a fantastic, fantastic cast member and contributor and did not deserve uh, to be fired the way he was. No. Team Norm. I think the, the quintessential Norm sketch to me was the, um, the West side story yes. parody where, yeah, where, and that, that's just such Norm's sense of humor where they're doing the song and dance. And then Norm just calls out like, what was that? You guys are, <laughs> you guys are singing and dancing or what? Like, he's just like plays just that. That's just Norm's sense. How of humor somebody would normally react. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, he, Norm meant, meant a lot to me. Um, he was doing weekend update, um, when I was in high school and I, and, and he validated, he was another one. Like I had talked about Phil Hartman validating a part of my sense of humor and Norm, uh, was one of those two who, who validated more of like the, the weird, <laughs> uh, part of my sense of humor and the jokes that like, I, I just, his delivery, his w- was, was so funny and the way he delivered things uh, in such like a, almost a self-pleasing kind of way but it but it was endearing at the same time and 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 even just you know his guest spots on like conan and his stories that he would tell um but that all shined through in um on screen um at at snl too um that said he's not on my ballot he's one of the tougher ones uh for me um i mean it's just you know especially with the inaugural ballot um i wish you know there's bunch of people who i would love to vote for uh yeah. norm was a really tough cut uh yeah, for if, me if, uh, if jan hooks or polar or will ferrell yeah. was on this list they'd be getting a spot over norm for sure but right yeah so he, he's he's for sure he's great and i'm 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 on, i'm glad somebody voted for him and i hope that he does get a lot of votes because because norm um as far as people in comedy norm um really did actually mean a lot to me Okay, uh, Kirsten, what are your thoughts on on Mr. MacDonald? Tough one for me as well. He's he what I didn't vote for him, but he is one of those folks who you think long and hard about. I do want to go back right now and rewatch a bunch of his stuff because you mentioned some sketches that I just haven't seen in so long, and I recall them with fondness. So there's something there. Uh, and I'm going to go back and, and watch a whole bunch of SNL at this point, because I have a little list of <laughs> sketches that you reminded me that I need to see again. And I'm going to go and, and get into that rabbit hole. Um, so he's not on my list, but I appreciate everything you said. And I do think it's a tough one also. Um, and he uses a polarizing sense of humor more so than most people on that show. Um, so I do hope he gets some votes, but I also understand why some people might not vote for him. Kirsten, if you wanna, um, if you're gonna go back and watch some old Norm sketches, this sketch gets panned, but you should go back and watch. It's the polar bear sketch from season twenty, the polar bear cage. It's with him, Tim Meadows, Jay Moore, Chris Farley, and Adam Sandler, and it's it's chaos and it's perfectly Norm McDonald's uh, sense of humor. He wrote that sketch uh, too. So polar bear cage. Um, go watch that one. I don't know if Jamie and Dave n- know what I'm talking about. No, that, no, I'm gonna. That's kind of a classic yeah. Norm one. And I was gonna throw out the one where Sylvester Stallone uh, saves him yes. from a car accident mm. as well. 
Uh, (laughs) If you were in a car accident and Sylvester Stallone came to save you, you would react the same exact way. (laughs) Exactly. I'm very excited. Cut. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm going to have to watch all of this and then re-record this. You realize because this may change a lot of things. (laughs) All right. So we've got one left, and I think it comes from Thomas. Yeah. So this this guy's actually. Maybe a somewhat of a spiritual precursor to Norm. I wanted to have someone who who was a little out there, a lot out there, and weird. I'm a fan of Will Forte, oddball sense of humor. Um, so Michael O'Donohue um, is one that that was on my ballot, and I think just for for a lot of the reasons that I've said about other writers, um, that that he had such a distinct voice on the show with, with, with all, with all the out there stuff that he did. And then he, he was really um, instrumental um, just in the writing room in general and behind the scenes. Um, but I think he made it, he said, he kind of set the tempo for the show that it was okay to take chances and have oddball humor um, and, and be a little weird. Um, some of the stuff, I mean, there's even a couple of O'Donohue sketches that I don't quite enjoy or resonate with because it's just so weird but i do respect somebody like him taking those chances and injecting his own brand of humor into it and lorne being okay and giving the green light for that stuff and i think then you see even will ferrell did a lot of weird sketches like mentioned will forte um you know he made it okay for for future cast members and writers to, to maybe take some of those oddball chances. And I think he's important in the SNL discussion. So Michael O'Donohue um, is my final one. Great pick. Yeah. Wild swings, right? Yeah. Uh, somebody who just took wild swings, uh, maybe a little too dangerous for the show. <laughs> um, but uh, I digress. Is he, um, well, he's not on either of your lists, but, uh, why does he not appear on your list? I, I suppose would be the question in this case. Uh, he doesn't appear on my list because I think that Michael O'Donohue's style of humor did not imprint on the DNA of Silent Live the way Franken and Davis and Jim Downey did. Um, he tried, and I'm not particularly a fan of Michael Donahue's sense of humor. I think I was when I was a teenager and I really gravitated towards the shock, the shocking yeah. humor. But I, when I, the more I studied comedy, the more I realized that Michael Donahue's comedy was about punching down uh, and not only punching down, but trying to trying to ride that line of it's funny that I'm punching down because it would be absurd of, me to really want to punch down. So the comedy is your assumption that I'm a monster. Ha 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 ha. But really you're just punching down and being a monster. And I don't know you well (laughs) enough to know that you, that that's a silly assumption of me that you're a monster. And I think it did a lot of damage to American comedy in the eighties into the nineties until I think Tina Fey, uh, shook us up, shook us loose of that a little bit. Um, and I think that, uh, I, I don't think that his style of comedy is as pervasive as it is today in the show or in comedy. And I kind of died down about 20 years ago. Um, so I don't, I don't see his imprint 
I see his imprint on the early shows. I don't see his imprint on later shows after him. And I'm not really a fan of the sketches he wrote. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, that, that explains it then. <laughs> that does a pretty good job of explaining it. Kirsten? Uh, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally That was really fair. well articulated. Yeah, it was really well articulated. And I, I you very much captured what I would have struggled to express. That's... I think you nailed it. I think that's that's exactly why I wouldn't have voted for him. And you've kind of validated that that's why I don't think he's worthy of the whole thing. Yeah. The best writing I think he did was um, uh, uh, he did a show in, I want to say it was 82. They brought him back for the 82 season. And he wrote up until Christmas. And that like, Christmas episode was hosted by Bill Murray and the Spinners. And in that show, you can tell it's Michael Donahue's last show because there's a lot of thumbprints that he put into that show of him saying, fuck you, America. I'm sorry, Jamie. I don't know if I'm on the cruise. <laughs> no, that's here. fine. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, you can kind of see how good he could have been had he had something to actually say rather than just wanting to shock the audience into, uh, into hurting middle America. Oh, I have to watch that episode. Oh, there's so much. Do we know what now. he did afterwards? Like, did did he get a chance to mature into that type of comedy? Tried to write. He tried to write it, you know, in books and uh, TV shows, and nothing really just nothing really took off. And he died of a brain aneurysm, I think, in the in the nineties. Hmm. Sad. His biography That's is fantastic, sad. though. I would definitely read his biography because it's a fascinating story of where that all that anger comes from and how he channels that. Isn't there a movie as well that uh, like I'm positive I watched that movie that's like a lampoon movie? It's like yeah. Will, Will, Forte Will Forte is actually in that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's actually in that movie. Um, I forget it's who got a, plays Michael it's got O'Donoghue. A but, yeah, yeah, they but he's, he's definitely fe- featured in uh, in that movie. It's really it's good. I I, wa- I watched it um, a couple of years ago, and I'm blanking on the name. I'm actually kind of trying to drunk stoned and something like that. Drunk, Stone, and Brilliant. Got it saved on my computer, so I'm looking. I'm looking it up as well. We'll make this sound futile so and stupid gesture. A futile and there stupid gesture. Um, as Will Ferrell played, or Will Forte played Doug Kenny, who who was obviously famous for for his work at the Harvard Lampoon and everything. It's a it's it's a great movie. It has a lot of people. Um, if you're a comedy fan, you'll recognize almost everybody who oh, um, yeah. was in it. Um, Chevy Chase's co-star in Community um, plays Chevy Chase uh, in the movie. Joel McHale plays Chevy Chase in that movie. Um, yeah, so uh, so it does feature Michael Donahue a little bit. I understand. I definitely appreciate what, what uh, Dave and, and Kirsten uh, had to say for sure. And I guess this one was more uh, on my ballot, more maybe as sort of a nod to some of the oddball stuff, even if it, uh, if I'm being honest, a lot of the sketches uh, still didn't connect with me. Um, I thought that was, he was maybe the most kind of representative of the, of the oddball stuff on the list, even if he did often take it too far. And I always looked at him, he was honestly like, I looked at him as a nerdy guy, like 
there was just something i think he was insecure and he was kind of a nerd like there was nothing menacing about michael donahue to me anyway when i would see him on screen to me it was a nerd trying to play the character of a menacing person (laughs) so that might speak to a lot of what dave was talking about but i never really saw him as like this edgy menacing guy he was i saw him as a nerd playing that role yeah thomas lennon of the state Yes. Uh, oh, that's right. Michael good. That was good casting. Yeah. yeah. The whole up top to bottom, it was great casting. Well, um, speaking of great casting, uh, you guys did a wonderful job being cast in the role of pundits today. And I want to thank you so much for doing that. Uh, is there any uh, plugs or any uh, Twitter handles, social that you want to promote at all? We can just continue to go in order. Thomas. Uh, you could find me mostly on Twitter at Thomas A as an Apple Senna S E N A. Um, that's my Twitter handle. I love talking about SNL. I'm kind of part of the the SNL geeky community on Twitter. Um, so so friend me and we we can talk about Saturday Night Live. I'm watching every week and love to chat about it. Awesome, Dave. Uh, I am at Dave Buckman on Twitter. Uh, you can also support Cold Town Theater at Cold Town Theater or at Cold Town on Twitter. Uh, we have a Patreon. Uh, you can donate to the, our cause to find a new venue here in Austin. Or uh, you can support Austin Sketchfest. Look out for Austin Sketchfest coming back live in September. Great. Kirsten. Uh, Instagram mostly at Kirsten Turnbull, K-I-R-S-T-I-N-T-U-R-N-B-U-L-L. And I welcome all SNL forwarded content. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time today and the care that you took. Uh, There was some really thoughtful discussion and some uh, great picks. Uh, I am really excited to see who makes the cut so stay tuned all right i want to thank garrison dave and thomas for joining me in the final three of three pundit round table of the first season of the SNL hall of fame. That means there's only one thing left to do, and that is to elect our first class. So if you haven't done so already, please go to SNLHOF.com, click on the voting tab and click on that big, big vote button. And then Do your stuff. We want to make sure that everyone has a say and uh, everyone has a vote. This is your Hall of Fame. This is the SNL Hall of Fame. And please, as you're leaving today, turn out the lights because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. You can find everything you need to know about the show at snlhof.com. Don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts.
This is Duncan Nance saying, this is Duncan Nance saying, see you next month in the hall. and such.